right. Welcome to the Lojo Show. I'm your host, Loverture Jones. I am the founder and managing partner at BlackRock Engineering and Technology. I have over 21 years of cybersecurity experience, and I am honored to be able to bring some of that experience to you. Today, we are going to dive into some cyber news, give you our analysis. Also, as always with me, is uh, Jonathan the Ludite. He is our producer, our executive producer. Executive producer. We question the word exec, but he does produce. I mean, I'm the, I'm the boss of all the producers, so... That is true. You do. You, you lead all the producers yep. in this outfit. And yep. uh, we thank you. You thank you. You <laughs> do it. You're very, very capable. Sorry that there's been a gap in the episodes. We've all been very busy. Yes, it has been a busy time going into the summer here. But been exciting, exciting times. There's enough to talk about, certainly. <laughs> so John's gonna bring up a couple of topics and stuff for us. I just want to say one thing too to our you know to our audience. One is thank you for listening to us here. Um we know that uh, each and every one of us has our own times and our own things, so I, I hope that uh, uh, these episodes and uh, what we're speaking about is something that is definitely you know top of mind for you and something that you can take and apply during your day or remember to apply as well as from your family's end as well as in your uh, your workspace. So uh, is going to jump into kind of our first topic for cyber news here. Yep, we're going to do our cyber news, which you actually already read the article. I put it on the wrong side of the desk. <laughs> we're supposed to read that. <laughs> well, I'm sure everybody else wants to hear yeah. that article. All right. So, um, new Goodwill ransomware focuses victims to donate money and clothes to the poor. So this is a, a from a ransomware gang that forces people to do good, kind of like a Robin Hood situation. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there we go. We got the we got the hacktivists, right? I think that's how we usually would. Take those and characterize those as yeah. uh, hacktivists, right? And um, you know, again, this is a reminder that uh, that the, the the perpetrators of of cybersecurity crimes, as well as in trying to breach information or do other uh, nefarious things, is always a, a challenge, right? It's not a challenge that just comes from state actors. It's not a challenge that comes from you know corporate ex- espionage. Those aren't the only ways that it occurs. It occurs on a daily basis. Uh, people can get a grand idea, uh, maybe go into the Robin Hood complex in that case, and mm-hmm. this is one of those. However, the other part to that is, are they really being Robin Hood or are they keeping the cash? <laughs> right? right. You know, it may say go out and do these things and be nice and you take them to Pizza Hut or whichever as far as folks that are homeless or so by the road. Um, but really, at the end, when you see folks typically turn to these types of activities and stuff, it, it's usually focused on, you know, numero uno as far as being able to obtain either cash or create an outcome that they find funny or uh, interesting. Yep. So this the uh, the ransomware is uses an AES algorithm for encryption. So that's kind of interesting. Don't normally um, ransomwares use the? It's not the AES. What's the other one? Are you talking about not Diffie, but uh, so you got uh, AES, you also have RSA. RSA, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. The majority of ransomware have been RSA in the last like two years from the articles I've been reading. Mm -hmm. So it's it's interesting that this one is AES. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's it's also a reminder, though, that all of this is just so easily uh, attained so that you can do these types of activities. Mm -hmm. It's not, it really is not all that complex. So, you know, for, for those of you out there that still think that, you know, this is a 
I don't want to say a make-believe threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say it's a very easy threat. It's a very simple. It's very, it's just like leaving your keys in your car for someone to take your car. Right? Yeah. You get out of the car, you leave your keys in there, you go into your office, you do what you're going to be doing or whichever from there. It only takes someone with a little bit of ambition in this area to walk by the car, open the car door, get in, hit the button, you know, because our cars are so... Uh, are technically advanced, except for Jonathan's. Yeah, no, um, not mine. All you have to do is get in the car now, hit the button. If the key's in there, the car will start. <laughs> right? Doesn't even have to be in the ignition. So the old school kind of movie where you the guy gets the car and checks up under the sun visor, right? No, oh, there's some keys here, right? Yeah, and or goes, in the wheel well with the right, magnets. Oh, the wheel well. Yeah. And, um, I, I've even seen some lunatics actually put their key to their car inside of their gas tank holder and the gas tank uh, cover and door. Why? It is... That just sounds like a horrible idea. It sounds crazy, but you know what? I've seen teenagers do this where they put literally their key into the uh, in the door for their gas tank. And well, it makes sense if the teenager the car did it. And they pop it open and take it out and they, it's just, you know, but these are things that, you know, we typically don't think of, but, well, most rational people don't think about. <laughs> um, but it's so easy like that. So when you talk about that and you look at that of going, that's just ridiculous. Why would you do that? Um, same thing would go to your users as well as to you directly when you make decisions like, hey, you have intelligence that your Google password has been breached. You should probably go change all your passwords across the board, especially if you typically fall into that group, that, which is most people that reuses passwords across platforms. Yeah. Right. The key to avoid that is getting a really good password manager. But it's like, it's like a password technology manager. And, that helps you remember yeah, things like that's that. That's probably what it is. It's called a pen, a I've pencil, been, I've been using a technology too much. It's, well, you don't want to write down your passwords. Right? No, no, you don't want to write down your passwords. Absolutely not. Um, I actually sing song lyrics as I do my passwords. Oh, uh, that's kind of cute. jingles that go through my head, and basically that's how I come up with my password, and then the, the so, number part is the most difficult part for me to remember because I usually try to randomize the number. So your yeah. your master password is probably the Oscar Meyer? Uh, no, no. It's, it's not the Oscar Meyer. MB2ND. <laughs> 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 All right, so back to the article. Yeah. So after um, the encryption has happened, there's a pop-up, a page that pops up, and it gives you three act- or yeah, two activities to do for you to get your computer back. So it's activity number one is goodwill. What to do? We That we know thousands of people died due to sleeping on the roadside in the cold because they do not have clothes to cover their body. So your first task is to provide new clothes and blankets to needy people on the roadside and make a video of this event. Later, post this video slash photo to your Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp stories by using photo frame provided by us and encourage other people to help needy people in winters. Take a screenshot of your post and send an email to us with valid post link. Later, our team will verify the whole case and promote you for the next activity. Hmm. So they lock your computers so that they shut you out of your systems and they tell you, hey, go give blankets and clothes to the poor, put on social media and with our frame, it's like their frame that they made for these stories, and then email the link to them. That's really odd. That's an awful lot of interaction there. I mean, it, <laughs> I don't foresee this lasting very long for them. If they continue with the interactions, the more interactions they have with you, the more they're susceptible to being caught you know, on this. So 
sounds like a great idea <laughs> from their end, but really at the end, it's it still comes down to you know essentially you know extortion. I mean, it still is extortion. It's still extortion. Right. I mean, when it all boils down, it's extortion. I don't care what your intent or what your motive was for it. It's it's extortion. Yeah. Right. The morality is an interesting concept or an interesting topic of this issue. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, you're doing something good for someone, but you're doing it because you're forced to do it. So are you actually doing good? Probably not. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's it, you're not. Yeah. I mean, it... it uh, you know, again, it's 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 stealing from people that you perceive may be well off or whichever. Right. But you know, most of Americans and people are paycheck to paycheck, right, hand to mouth. We might be able especially to get with a little inflation bit more right now. Per, yeah, especially yeah. with inflation right now and everything else. So, um, you know, you you do this for, to an organization, you do this to a small business or something like that, right? Well, this could be catastrophic for them as a small business. Right, hmm. so they're they're not too far away from being that same person that's on the on the street as well. So does that really, really, you know, does that really help? And I, I can't really get into the motives and stuff behind it, but um, what's being asked and what's being, you know, done or perpetrated here is at the end, it's still, you know, it's still extortion, you know, good old yeah. fashioned extortion. And at the end, that's that's what ransomware and stuff is too, you know, altogether. Yep. It's like I'm going to do this so that you do this. Yeah. Right. And you know, it's, uh, you know, it's been a crime for a long time. <laughs> my, my thought is, and maybe I'm a bad person for thinking this, mm -hmm. but like, why don't they just, what stops the person being extorted from giving them their blankets mm -hmm. and clothes, recording it, posting it, and then snatching it back and returning it? The, the, again, there's evil that lives in all of us, John. I think <laughs> you just, <laughs> I think you just, uh, you just tapped into it right there. <laughs> I tapped, I tapped into my inner evil. <laughs> Uh, so you're going to cheat the extortionist. <laughs> I mean, all right. So the second activity that they extort you to do is uh, that they make you feed uh, hungry children. Hmm. So after the first activity, you'll be prompted to do the activity too. And then they have a little description. Thousands of poor children have to sleep hungry in the long cold nights because those ill-fated people have no luxury to have dinner every night in this cruel world. You cannot feed them for life, but you can give them two moments of happiness. In this evening, pick any five poor children under 13 of your neighborhood and take them to Domino's, Pizza Hut, or KFC. Then allow them to order the food they love to eat and make them feel happy. Treat those kids as your younger brothers. Take some selfies of them with full of smiles and happy faces. And again, send it to whatever screenshot, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, yeah, that's a great thing to do, but... I'm not sure if those kids will be happy if some person from some small business picks them up and takes them to KFC. Like that's honestly kind of creepy. Yeah, that's 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 pretty creepy. Um, you know, I you know, again, this is. Uh, I hope that like the ASPCA folks and the uh, PETA folks don't get like a hold of this method as well. Oh as far yeah. As trying to you know push this forward for for animals, which Green by the piece way, I actually something. see more commercials about that than I do for. Hungry children across the world at this point. Um, I mean, during every football game and everything, it's 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 pretty prevalent. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, you know, again, it's it's <laughs> it's just good old fashioned extortion, man. I you know I can't can't say it enough. I guess one of the questions is, what do you do when these, you know, if if this is one of the 
the things that you're faced with as a either as a business owner or someone that's a head of security for a corporation or just an individual, you know, that you know, the next question is, well, what do you do to to to, to get you know, to resolve this thing, you, you need to make sure that you're, you know, uh, doing what the, the uh, you know, what the perpetrators are asking for in this case, or, you know, is it time to go ahead and get into the reporting and stuff too of this? And technically what I would say is at this point in time, always report, mm. always report, go through the process of uh, getting your, 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 your information and data back. Um, there are resources out there that can help you do that very quickly now, you know, so those are, you know, those are some of the things that uh, can continue to you know, be the case, but also just continue to report. Because the thing is, the more this stays hidden and you don't report it, the more likely it's going to continue to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas we can make progress on this as people in industry if you go ahead and report it. It's not an embarrassment. Some of the most, quote unquote, supposedly secure organizations in the world have been ransomed, have been breached, have been stolen from, all those. So... Um, you know, mom, Susie Q, you know, shop, whichever that has lots of data and stuff from that. Don't worry, you're in the same boat as a lot of uh, very yeah. large corporations that you would think would have the ability to stop this. So, again, it makes it more likely that we'll be able to resolve these things quicker and faster if you're reporting them and we're able to get even more intelligence from it. Because all the intelligence we have from the, from the old stuff uh, is what helps, you know, resolve, um, you know, these issues as they come up. And if you want to learn more about how BlackRock Engineering and Technology recommends you remediate the risk of ransomware, you can check our website. We have some great infographics that I made myself um, that you can take a look at and hopefully get some good tips on that. I'm glad that you're taking credit for making those. I mean, I did. I think you try to pass that off to like, hey, we had some kids do it. Hey. So people actually begin to get feedback on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to move on to our next topic, um, which is going to be cybersecurity with the remote workforce. With COVID, you know, it's kind of dying out, but now we've got monkeypox is supposedly going around. And a lot of people who started to work from home during COVID don't want to come back to the office. So how do we as a workforce, just in general across all industries, adapt to a fully remote or hybrid um, work, workforce? And how do we make that a secure process? Yeah, this is, um, you know, a lot of companies had already started really thinking about this and thinking through this, you know, as, as really as, as early as 2015, 2014, 2015. Now, the acceleration to the, to the remote workforce, to the mobile workforce and stuff from there definitely was, um, you know, accelerated by um, COVID and what our today's conditions are, you know, at this point. But really, the technology is really come a long way very quickly. I mean, you guys saw what happened to Zoom, mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in 2000 and just the, the gains and stuff that that had just by offering, you know, that, uh, that collaboration, that collaboration and capability for remote use and remote meetings and stuff too from that. And then how fast also the response was to um, being able to secure those capabilities um, too. So, Here's how you look at your remote workforce, right? And I'm going to talk purely as far as just, let's say, corporate from that end. And then we can get into some of the different uh, segments like, you know, government contracting has a bit of a different, 
you know, <laughs> approach that they have to use for it mm. uh, versus, let's say, just your purely commercial startup company, right? These are, you know, these are different industries and a lot of times different means there. Um, putting in not just proper technology, but proper process as far as being able to onboard your remote workforce so that they can use the collaboration tools and stuff too. And you can get either hardware and software delivered to their endpoints, um, to their endpoints that are able to be controlled and managed. Um, that's an important piece there because it's like this. If you, you know, if you put, if you put, you know, I kind of think about it as like having a, a radio controlled car, right? You inside your house and stuff, you're controlling that, you're able to see exactly what it's doing, where it's going, and you're driving it, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're controlling that. Well, the same thing happens, and I don't mean to compare people to remote controlled cars, but the same thing goes with remote work. You may have the radio control car, but look, in its own space, it's going to do its own thing within that, right? You now have some autonomy from that. And that's what we are as humans. We have some autonomy from working at home. Hmm. So the trick is, is to keep your workforce productive, right? Keep them productive through how you define your workflows, keep them secure by how you define how those workflows should be secured by the technology you use. If your organization is highly um, communicative as far as when it comes to collaboration and chat and those types of things, well, then those tools like Slack and uh, you know Google Meets and those types of things, that's where you want to emphasize where some of your security is. Because now you want to define things like what can actually be shared, what can be recorded, what can be downloaded, and in particular, the portion of what can be downloaded. If you're able to concentrate your effort from a technology standpoint of securing that into a, uh, a container, right, which is what you're able to do with technology like Google, uh, you can do it with Microsoft to an extent, right, um, and get your tools to a point where you're able to orchestrate that collaboration, allow for the flexibility uh, that your workers need in order to work remote, but still contain your important information and data and also protect yourself against, you know, ransomware and denial of service, that is what you begin to do. So organizations have to look very closely to how they communicate, how they store information, how they collaborate on the information. And does that workflow, is that workflow conducive to your business process and operations for your go-to-market? Okay. Um, being able to then look at the means by which communication happens. If communication is by email all the time, then you're probably going to still be susceptible to, you know, man in the middle or emails going awry as far as sending the wrong information to the wrong customer, to the wrong client. Mm. So one of the keys for this is being able to, one, create communication paths that are encrypted, but two, also, again, using the secure collaboration tools, in this case, to send important data, important documents, right? Transferring those documents. And again, being able to have data owners so that you understand who's responsible for what when, that, uh, when, that's, uh, when those are being used, right? Um, in some cases, you have to delegate some of those controls down to your management structure and stuff too uh, for folks. Um, for instance, uh, one of the things for commercial companies that do business with the uh, with the DoD, you know, they ran into the 
um, you know, to the uh, 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 to the uh, uh, controlled unclassified uh, information and how you transmit that, right? And so you have this thing called the CMMC, which is the cybersecurity cybersecurity mature maturity model. Mm-hmm. Um, Cybersecurity Maturity Model uh, Certification. Ah, Cybersecurity I should have done that. Maturity Model Certification. Jeez. Um, where basically there's a set of you know controls from this NIST 800-171, and now you have your other set that are CMMC-specific, and these are capabilities that's expected in order to protect CUI, right? Um in that case, there's certain things you have to do as far as on encryption and how you actually pass the ownership of data that allows you to identify CUI and manage and maintain that in and outside of your organization. Mm. Okay, um, so there's some stringent rules. That, not stringent. There are some practices within that that a lot of companies didn't have in the past that they needed to incorporate, and in particular, have to incorporate in. Uh, collaboration environments um, at a secure level that in some cases can inhibit uh, that collaboration and mm-hmm. control of that information. So uh, there's some balance and stuff that has to go into that. Right? Um, being able to secure things like your email, right? Um, email comes in, comes out. Yeah, you can encrypt email within your organization and stuff from there. But then when you're delivering email from your organization to others, uh, problem is that it's very hard to keep that package and stuff encrypted <laughs> as you do that in those means. Because what if that other organization is not able to decrypt right. that information and that data, right? Yeah, you lose control because it goes outside of your environment. You lose control of that because it goes outside of your environment, right? And then the other part is, is then also maybe even identifying and notifying whoever's receiving that, hey, this is CUI, so that they can start their CUI process and mm. maintaining that and using that. So this has been, you know, one of the industry's, you know, challenges. And that's not just for CUI. This is for all sorts of sensitive data and corporate information and stuff, too. Of Okay, how do we control it when it gets outside of our environment? Which sounds completely weird, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, how do I control my child when they've moved out of the house? Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I can't see what they're you doing can. all the time. And I can't, you know, dot the I, you know, across the T's and yeah. stuff, too, from that. Right? I mean, you can't really control the mother in the you, house, either. You can't really control it. So there are different arrangements that you have to make in those interactions where you're passing that type of information stuff there. So again, that is a workflow thing and a technology thing, but you Mm -hmm. have to make sure that you're syncing those together so that you can still get to the right business outcomes. Um, You know, so part of that does require both more of a business analyst look at how you do business than from a technical standpoint, what is it that you need to do technically to, uh, facilitate that workflow, and then from there, what do you need to do from a security management standpoint and compliance standpoint that gets you to good enough or even better from there? Mm. Um, the other part is is that uh, the 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 remote or mobile workforce that we have, um, you can't just turn it loose and then not be able to um, keep monitoring and stuff in place. You've got to be able to monitor what is going on because there is an awareness that you need to have. So whenever you're putting these environments together, 
one of the most important things is your ability to monitor and identify where there are anomalies or problems or issues that could uh, be in place that could inhibit your company, inhibit your workforce, uh, and then also affect your business from there. So again, looking at the technology as a facilitator of workflow to get to a good business outcome is the approach that you want to take because it sinks those areas into something that can be more predictable and able to plan for, right? So when you choose your uh, email, like for instance, folks are trying to make decisions between Google Workspace and you know Microsoft's um, you know Office, right? Well, there's pros and cons to each one, right? Um, let's say, let's talk about a small company. Pro, Google Workspace, easy to set up, easy to secure, right? You can do it all from that one, uh, from that one dashboard and stuff from there. And then also with Google's end-to-end -end encryption and stuff that's uh, within, their, uh, within their cloud and stuff, that does help. Helps you do a lot. Things are staying encrypted. Those are being passed along. Gives you some really strong collaboration tools. And it's all there in one nice big package, right? Mm -hmm. And it's economical for a lot of organizations. You then have Microsoft. Most folks over the years, as far as especially within aerospace and defense, have used Microsoft. The government uses Microsoft from there too, right? Yep. Um, so there's been augmentations to Microsoft's different versions for, um, you know, for O365, right? Uh, one of the strengths of this is that uh, a lot of administrators and stuff have a lot of corporate knowledge of how to do this. Large organizations are already committed to the platform. And, you know, what they would like to do is be able to go to even the Fed version or the government version of, uh, you know, of Microsoft so that they can get the, um, the security that they want and need and stuff from there. Right. Where trying to make decisions as far as on that, which one's better or worse. Uh, there is a drill down that you want to do. One is, you know, what is your business? What does your business try to do? What are the core uh, cultural things in your business that help it drive and be successful? Are those core corporate thing or cultural things more important than you being able to do business with a certain client because you do or do not have, uh, uh, do or do not have um, the right package or so that uh, that you can use with your client, or is your client even requiring you to have it? Mm. So. A lot of decisioning goes into that, but you also want to make sure that you're not jumping to conclusions with that, right? So, you know, one of the things that, uh, that, that, that we ran into uh, quite a bit is, uh, hey, are we, using, are we using Teams government, right? Well, most of our business is commercial. So I'm not going to use Teams government in that case for that. I can get the government version of Zoom on that, and that lets me use a third-party tool that I don't have to commit to one platform or the other. Hmm. I can do that. It's going to be cheaper for me, right? I'm going to be a little bit more successful in being able to collaborate. I can integrate it as well with my Google Workspace, and I can still enforce the level of security that's necessary for CUI and handling CUI, hmm. right? So yeah. these are the types of decisions that you end up making from a CIO and CISO standpoint. But the only but the only caveat that I would say that is most important is that your business analysis needs to take place in these decisions and understanding how it affects the bottom line, how it affects productivity. Does it retard remedial tasks, easy tasks that are just go do it, get it done, right? So if I inhibit you from being able to sign into your, <laughs> into your work machine because 
I want to increase as much security as possible. Guess what? I've just attacked my own organization. Right. Right. If it takes an hour to log into your machine and get all your stuff up, I just did a great denial of service attack, yep. in which case I'm going to lose your productivity for, you know, let's say you come in five days a week, five hours out of the week, right? You're waiting to get into your machine, which is five hours that really sucks if I multiply that by your, you know, month hourly rate. And how many employees right. you have it too. And worse yet, hourly rate that I can't charge to a customer, <laughs> right? That is then, I mean, that's even then, that's multiplied. My customer's not getting the service that they want, right? And I'm sitting here taking on even more costs, right? From yep. there. So these are some of the really important decisions to make. So if you hear somebody just say, oh, you should go to this, to go to this solution uh, because it's better, don't ever take that as an answer. Right. Each business is different. So it might be good for them, but it might be detrimental to you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Definitely don't. It's just it's kind of like, hey, do you buy Nike's Asics or or Puma, right? And I say, okay, well, what sport are you playing, right? Do you have New a Balance. wide foot on it? Let's not even go there. Let's not even go there. Let's, I mean, there there is a right place for New Balance as well. There is. It is. It's a. It's, it's a, on it's the thirty five year old dad bod cutting but, his grass. Yeah, you know, but, but, but let's stick with the let's stick with the let's stick with the particulars here. <laughs> Okay, we'll stick with Nike. We'll stick with Nike. Right. Um, there, there are specific reasons why you do or do not go with one of those, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if Nike doesn't line up with your culture, don't go with Nike, right? If it doesn't line up with you know, a wide foot or so that you may have, don't go with Nike, right? right? You may have better effect with an Adidas or an Asics or a, or a Puma. I'm not saying New Balance. Just, just not. <laughs> just not. Um, <laughs> so you're saying that there's... Uh, no use case for for New Balance shoes. Uh, there's a use case for New Balance, but we don't need to talk about that use case right now. It's um, they are special. They I, are I special. Had New Balance when I was I actually had New Balance one time as a kid too. They are comfy, they really are, but uh, unfortunately their branding has not done well for the group that's under fifty. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, aye. Yeah, um, but yeah, it, it is. There, 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 there. New Balance has its place as well as Nike has its place and stuff that it does well, that it doesn't do well, and uh, where that intersection lies for your organization. It's it's the same thing when it comes to the cybersecurity and the tools that you're going to use to be effective, right? Um, the other part, though, that's really the missing part of most organizations is really training your workforce on what to do that is right and what to do that what not to do. Um, that is wrong, right? Um, making that distinction is one of the, you know, key components, right? Where do you store information? All right, well, you need to be clear. We want information stored here. Am I allowed to download information? No, you're not allowed to download information to your, you know, to your local device, and we're then going to enforce that by locking the ability to be able to download information to that device, right? Mm-hmm using DLP or, you know, controlling that through um, whichever browser or Chrome if you're, you know, if you're using Google, right? Um, Other, you know, other questions is, uh, you know, where and how should I log in when I'm using a public uh, site, right? Are you using your VPN software or better yet, are you using any type of the container, you know, software and stuff too that we have on on your PCs to do work within those environments that do not, um, that are not private connections, right? Um, and I'm just going to say this for 
home networks, just, just accept the fact that home networks are public connections. Mm-hmm. They are not private connections. They are public connections. Okay? And so on your home network, you are not safe. Right? Whatever's connected to that. You got TVs, smart TVs that are connected to it. You have all sorts of things that yep. are connected to that. Got all these smart home devices, yes. your ring cameras, your smart thermostats, everything. Yep. So Horrifying. My Ludite side is, is, is upset about it. Assume that you are joining a public network when you are at home. Unless you are also building out your, you know, your front-end firewall and stuff to your network services and stuff from there. Um, be sure that you are using your VPNs and stuff for that, or that you're using a, even a software-defined gateway or so, too, to connect to your resources, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we use Perimeter 81, for instance, is one that we use, so that basically when we bring an asset online or so, that asset is connected to Perimeter 81. Uh, that gives me my software-defined network and stuff, too, to, uh, to communicate. It also has the VPN component and stuff there. Uh, and that gives me that uh, that that gives me the, the the you know the network security and capabilities that I want and need for my resources. Right. Yep. So these are some of the you know some of the key you know aspects of um, remote workforce and getting them into really the the right frame of mind. And the thing is, is that it's not that you want to build an infrastructure specifically for your work for your remote workforce. It's that you need to adapt your existing infrastructure to support that. Right. Mm-hmm. If you now know that the majority of your connections are going to be coming from external and not from internal LAN, well, then maybe it's time to move away from just doing that internal LAN, uh, you know, setup and 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 uh, and functionality, and look at the fact that hey, most of this is going to be going over public. Uh, I need to begin looking at my software-defined gateways and stuff too in order to. Uh, you know, define this, my edge computing and capability from that. So um, there are lots of people who work from home on their own devices mm-hmm. that the company didn't give them and that the company doesn't have mm-hmm. really a whole lot of jurisdiction over. So what could those employees, because I'm thinking specifically a friend of mine, she works for an architecture firm and mm-hmm. she works at home sometimes on her own computer. What mm-hmm. could they do? Because they're not super focused on cyber what could the individual employees do to make their connections make do their work more securely? Are you saying without help from their corporate? Yes. Okay. Um, so for one is there are a, a variety of VPN softwares out there that allow you to use virtual private networks. There are personal virtual private networks. I would say to be able to download those and be able to use those would be probably a key there. Uh, a lot of your antivirus companies have that where you do work via VPN through your antivirus software. Um, as a personal computer, whichever, you should have antivirus software and anti-malware software and, you know, um, uh, any of the, the, you know, any of the, uh, um, uh, yeah, anti-malware, ransomware, whichever from there on your, on your computers. I mean, McAfee has it, Symantec has it. Um, you know, one of the things we use is uh, F-Secure, Mm-hmm. You know, from our end, uh, having that type of software on so that you can actually have some personal security as well on your own laptops is good. Um, another thing as far as uh, doing that is to make sure that they that when you are communicating with emails or anything like that, that you're not sending attachments, but that you send links to shares. So if you're using Google, you can send links to shares. If you're using Microsoft, you can use your OneDrive and stuff too for that and send links to your document instead of sending the document 
over the uh, over the wet or over the over email. Mm. Okay, so makes sense. You know, because you know, here's the thing: the vast majority of folks that are using you know SMTP uh, type email and stuff from there, as far as your simple mail you know delivery and stuff too for that, um, you uh, a lot of that's going to be delivered you know via uh, clear text. Right. Mm. Whereas you still want to control who can have access to that. So sending the link and that link is only being bind to whomever you've given user access to or email, you know, other email username or something. Yeah, contro- controls access. the access. This yeah. is how you, you know, that's how you want to deliver those types of things. I like to use Surfshark because mm-hmm. um, it's, it's cost effective. You can put unlimited devices on it. Mm-hmm. So I have one account and I think I have eight or nine devices all on Surfshark and it's yeah. worked really well for me. Yeah, Surfshark has been pretty uh, pretty successful uh, as far as with that. So yeah, I mean that's a that's an example of of being able to just really do some simple things to secure your own you know personal computing, and in particular, if your company is not fully like up and running from a security standpoint, well, mm-hmm. at least you got like a little start there securing some yeah, of your communications. Yeah, you got you got something. Keep away some of the script kitties. Yep, yep. But again, um, I would like to say again, I definitely. Um, <clears throat> Don't do email attachments. I mean, at the end of the day, send the links. You know, so the try links to, stay to away yeah. from email attachments. Try to use shares that have the ability to share a link and give access to the specific user that you've provided access to for that. Like Google okay. Drive and OneDrive, and there's another one. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Cool. All right. Um, no, I mean, I think that's all I have as far as for the uh, the offices and the, the workspace and stuff too. Uh, again, making sure that you or if it's an organization that there is an audit function in the organization that is auditing mm. its practices, what users are doing as well uh, from that to make sure that they are one complying with what you've set as the, you know as your as your compliance, but two also to be able to identify anomalous activity and stuff that are going outside of your controls and the constraints that you've put in. And you want to do that internally or hire a third party for that? Uh, typically you want a function that's doing it internally on a regular basis. Like an automatic? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And then externally you do want every now and then, sometimes twice a year, for someone to check as an external audit for that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just to see. And this is, again, depending on your size from an organization standpoint and complexity, uh, larger organizations, I would say definitely make sure that you're doing this because things can go awry very quickly just by the sheer numbers that you have, right? A small organization, um, as you continue to build, you want this you want this capability and your approach to be organic so that it continues to grow with you. So if you're able to put yourself in a place where, uh, put your organization in a place in which it's already instituting good security behavior and hygiene and stuff from there, well, then the next thing is, is that now you can scale that. So you've produced mm. the policies and procedures that are that are necessary. It's then being able to scale that. So as you add devices, you add technology and people and stuff to that, they're going to scale within those constraints. Makes sense. All right. Well, that's all for this episode of The Lojo Show. We talked about some of today's cyber news and discussed how you can remain secure with a remote workforce. Let us know what you think of season two. You can leave a comment on our Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter page, or YouTube pages. Or you can send us an email at officiallojoshow at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. 
With that, we will say goodbye. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Stay safe and stay secure.